Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Okay, Dad, what? I'm going to challenge you today. Mm-hmm. Let's try and get through a whole episode of the podcast without talking about the following. Brexit. <laughs> Boris Johnson, yeah. Keir Starmer, <laughs> COVID. Oh, my God. Um, I'm bored of talking about yeah, it. Yeah, OK. All right, well, I'll try. Well, listen, actually, it could be possible because thanks to my amazing connections and contacts, I've got you quite a good guest to talk to this week, um, fellow mental health campaigner. So maybe we can just talk about that. Yes, exactly. Fellow mental health campaigner... Um, I think we should say this episode of the podcast has lots of mentions of suicide yeah. for anyone who might feel triggered mm. by that. Um, it's, it's heavy at points, but... But it's also quite uplifting, I think. It's very to... uplifting. And it's a young man. young man who lost a friend to suicide and made a BBC documentary about it, which was brilliant. He's had a really successful career... Um, he hosts. Did you? I I can't believe the numbers of people that listen to his show is nine hundred thousand every day. Wow, nine hundred and fifty k on capital. Yeah. yeah, that's a lot of people. Yeah, and of course you also had a lot to talk to him about because you both got kind of mega star dads who are a bit hunky and women like them. Yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah, I think yeah. his dad's oh, more no. hunky. <laughs> I'm joking. Gold. Oh, which yeah. one is? I think being a pop star and an actor is more hunky than being a p- politician. Yeah. Anyway, you're still a hunk and lots of women yeah, love yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's see who our guest on the podcast is our this guest week. Today is Roman, Roman Kemp. Kemp. Can't call my daughter mate just like that, you know. <laughs> you know, do you know, like, to be fair, I, I got called up on that the other day. Really? Someone, someone said, well, no, someone said to me um, that, that you can't call girls mate. And and they said they said instantly it's this thing that just is a is a barrier between you and the girl. And I said, I said I don't know what you mean. I th- I think it's because I, I I've learned it from my dad because my dad calls everyone mate. And and what male and I, I, I think it's um it's just something that I've taken from him. But every now and again people try and check me to say no, it's just between guys you can do that. That's wild. Anyway, Whoever I'm, said I'm, that I'm, is I'm, full of shit. That's bullshit. It's much better. To call women mate than to presumptuously be like darling or babe. Do you know what I mean? Like exactly. that makes women more uncomfortable when someone's like, "You're right, babe." I love no, being love. called mate. I just can't do it. Love, I can't do. No, it. I know. I, I had a I boyfriend that used to say "darling" and it, he just couldn't pull it off. It just always made me cringe. I was like, "That's what my mum says." Like, stop it. <laughs> 
Well, mum and um, I didn't call us call each other darling until we were in our forties or fifties. That's good so to know. Good Thank now. you. Um, okay, well, I'm really looking forward to this moment. I loved your documentary; it was amazing, and everyone I've spoken to about it just it was just so well done. But I wanted to start off. We're going to start off a bit more light, and then go into some of the more heavy stuff once we've warmed up and gotten you more comfortable with my, me and my dad's vibe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be fair, like I've been, I've been chatting about this for for some time. I'm I'm fully comfortable, but we can start wherever you no. want. No, I I mean, do you feel like in any way does it drain your energy talking about like mental health and suicide you know in such an intense way that wasn't my question but I am interested to know that yeah um one thing that that especially with 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 the documentary um we recorded it from around October and and only kind of wrapped um three weeks prior to to transmission date like to, to TX and we actually um around kind of december time just before christmas i actually said to the director i said to them i was like guys you're gonna have to stop like i I can't i can't do it anymore and i said and we'd had like a lot of visits like set in place and i said like i don't want to do it because what's going to happen is my emotion with it is going to become so detached you know when you talk about anything for so long and then all of a sudden your your emotion is away from it and you're not giving yourself the honest answer that, that you would be giving. You're just kind of going through the motions. Mm. So I, I actually, I, I really was grateful for the break that they gave me. They gave me basically, we didn't come back until mid-January. And it just gave me time to digest everything that I'd learned so far and then go back and attack it again with the same passion. Do you think, Roman, if, if you hadn't done the film about your friend Joe's suicide, do you think you might have done a programme about your own mental health anyway? Well, to be totally honest, um, I, I, I've wanted to make the film uh, for, for, you know, uh, it, given everything that I, I was dealing with in my own head. But it was a battle with myself in terms of, so I guess selfishly, you know, career-wise, you know, what does it do for me? That was one of my worries. It was like, you know, is, is this something that, am I just going to be known as the kid who, the celebrity kid who, who says that he gets sad and all these types of things like was it that and I remember very clearly having having the conversation with my mum and dad and and basically just saying I can't do it anymore I can't sit back on this you know this idea and and this this information that I know and and not do anything about it I've got to do it um and my parents backed me either way you know my parents were always like if i wanted to do it they they'd want me to go and do it and and if i didn't then then that's fine it's mm. but it was it was me to be totally honest it was me stopping myself from making it but do you feel i mean it it makes a lot of sense because like what you do is about so much like lifting people's spirits and being like a a positive you know on your show being like a positive sort of energy and then does it, it's a bit like when people worry about talking about politics, um, like people in the public eye, like celebrities worry about talking about politics because then they worry that people will see them in a different light. Is that what you worried about, that it would that it would sort of slightly change the way that people saw you? Or was it more nuanced than that? 100%. I mean, it's completely to do with that, you know. Unfortunately, we, we live in a world where you can get cancelled very quickly. 
you know, and and if if you don't go about things in the right way, then then you're scolded for it, you know. And it, it was something that it was playing in my head a lot in terms of you know was it the right timing to to make this documentary, mm. you know. And I thought about it for a while, and then when Joe died. It just felt like nothing mattered. This was the most important thing, and I had to tell people. And it was like I was just like, I've got to do it. Like it just felt like a you know like a piece of paper that I had to show everyone. Mm. I, Jerome and I've talked. I, I've had suicidal ideation, and I've also had a a cousin who took his own life in the year two thousand. And so I've always been interested in in suicide. Do you, and so Joe took his own life. Um. And I have this depression scale, which is one is kind of manic out of control and 10 is suicide. And I've, I've, I've only ever reached, well, I might have been at one once, so I've only ever got as low as nine, which is like really, really thinking about it. Have you been nine? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's the, the, the horrendous thing is that people can be at a 10 and you would never know. And, and and I think that I, I think the nine has been that nine number that you talk about there. I'd say I've been there a, a couple times. I think in my my adult life, um, and it's something that if I recognise I'm getting to that point, if I tell the right people, then when it gets to that point, those people are there for me, and understanding of one what it is that i think that i'm going through which at that point seems like the whole world is collapsing um and two they're, they're just there they're physically there uh, and and i'm really really lucky you know in the film as well i i, I speak to my mum about it about a moment in particular where you know she she was there for me and and i think that it was really important that we showed showed that and I never really had told her the extent of it in terms of the ideations as you were saying there but it was important that we put that in and I remember saying to I remember saying to the BBC and 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 the director and everyone involved in the documentary I was like look if we're gonna do this it has to be as shocking as possible like like it has to be I will tell my mum exactly what I was thinking there and then because mm. People need to know the reality of what thoughts are going through your head. It's fine. It's fine to to go and say, um, you know, I, I I felt really sad, and you know, Mum, you called me, and and everything got better. I wanted to be able to go, no, Mum, I felt so sad that this is what I was thinking about, and 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 to to show, you know, my mum, I guess, the reality of it. I think the thing that um, has really lingered with me since I watched your documentary is that that terrible feeling that, that someone could have been suicidal and you would have just had no idea, even if you were incredibly close to them. And, and often it is that thing of, you know, what could I have done? And especially those boys from Northern Ireland, I just fell in love with all of them. They were so sweet and insightful and so young. And I just thought, God, they, they, they'll, you know, like you live with that forever and think, what could I have done? I guess what I'm trying to say now is like, you know, we all know that this is a huge problem among men in particular because of the way that 
gender roles are sort of set that women are more likely to talk about their feelings but what since doing the documentary what have you kind of realized now like what are things that we can tell boys to do um to be there for their friends and to also be able to I guess open up yeah well I mean it's an incredibly difficult thing I think as uh, as you said there you know I only know it you know and, and and your dad will only know it from from being a guy it's almost kind of ingrained in you from the moment you step inside a school that us as guys we don't cry we don't we don't don't chat about those types of things you know it's almost it's a sign of weakness um and I think what I saw from the lads in Northern Ireland and I think what I've seen from everyone that I met uh within um making this documentary was was one lads love a challenge they love a challenge and now after this I wanted the the onus to shift from the person that is suffering onto the people around them because realistically and again I can only speak from personal experience when you're in that place as a guy the last thing that you are going to be willing to do is talk if you're not prompted and so what it needs to be is it then needs to be the mates that that have that responsibility and what I saw from the Northern Ireland lad was was the Irish lads were they loved that thing of you know he's my mate I'm gonna protect him mm. you know and and in some ways they're protecting themselves by being like that because they're constantly talking mm. and and because they have that challenge now of okay I need to be the hero here I need to be what they believe is you know, a man, and maybe that is some form of toxic masculinity, but realistically what they're doing is they're talking about their feelings, but they feel like they're doing it in a way which is saving one another. And how do you, when you were... No, I was going to say just... I've always observed that, like, men make their girlfriends their therapists, basically. that That's what's always happened in my life, in my friends' lives, is that they'll get into a relationship with women and then offload everything onto them, and then it's such a burden on them. But when you were younger... Did you have that relationship with your male friends or was it a bit more typical? Um, well, I guess the, the the female person that I would bounce off um, would always be my mum mm. and, and that's because she literally used to force me. Um, I have uh, one friend who, who you know, you see in the documentary, his name's Charlie and, and Charlie, um, he lost his mum at a really young young age and, and then, well, basically she, she was, you know, suffering from cancer for, for about seven years and when he first heard you know I was pretty open with him I told him that I was taking you know antidepressants when I was around 15 and then when he kind of went through a tough time I was the person that he came to because he because he couldn't you know he had these ideas in his head and he didn't understand what was going on and he came to me and ever since then he and I have always held that relationship you know he's my best mate and you know we play that role to each other you know I've got him he's got me you know, and, and, and that's what we kind of do. So I've always been lucky that I've had that friend um, per se, but but something that what you're saying there is, and I think this is something that I've really tried to push because my audience, if you can call it that, is um, is the, the main demographic would be girls. You know, if you were to go on my Instagram and say, who's the, what, you know, what gender and what age are following your demographic, it's girls from the ages of 16 to 35. Is that the same on the radio? Do you have a very female following on the radio? Um, 
I think it's a little bit more equal. It's a little more equal on, on the radio, but I think on Instagram, I think Instagram is very much so female skewered. Mm. And so, you know, for me, it's, it's more a question of um, uh, people, people, the question that people ask me is my boyfriend's having a tough time. What should I do? You know, I know my boyfriend is telling me all these things and no, I'm worried about him, genuinely worried about him. And there's, there's this kind of line that guys have, and I think girls have it less so. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but we, we decide to tell our partners certain things that we don't tell our friends, but then there's things that we tell our friends that we don't tell our partners, and there's also things that we have that we tell our parents that we don't tell our friends or our partners. And, and those lines are so strict. And there's, no, there's loads that you don't tell your parents. Yeah, exactly. And, th- and those lines are very strict, I think, when, when it comes to, to, to men. And, and I think that if a girl is, ex- is experiencing some, a situation whereby they're genuinely worried about their boyfriend or they feel low or they seem down, let me tell you, you are in no way doing a bad thing by explaining that to their friends, to your boyfriend's friends. And that would be my first thing. It would always be go to the friends. It wouldn't be go to the parents. It wouldn't be, you know, try and sort it yourself. Because look, as you know, I'm, I'm one of those people, granted, you know, I'm, I'm someone that, that, you know, I will always try and believe that I can solve the scenario, you know, and, and realistically for a guy that has to come naturally from, from their friends. So mm. I would always say if there's a girlfriend that's, that's in that situation, speak to your, your, your boyfriend's best friends. And, and just tell them everything. You're not doing your boyfriend a disservice by being honest. I was very struck by one scene in particular in the documentary when you were sitting around the table with your mum and your dad and your sister, and your dad kind of opened up, and it seemed to me that he was opening up in a way that you were really quite taken aback by just how open he was. Uh, and that surprised me because you've been open to the you know to the extent of making films about it, and yet and your dad's, you know, for those... I'm sure most of the people listening know that your dad was, you know, big star in Spandau Ballet, EastEnders, Martin Kemp, did the craze, all that. Um, and yet you seem quite moved but quite taken aback about how open he was about how he'd struggled. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, with – and again, you know, it's, it's exactly what you're saying. My My dad is – Someone that people say, oh, you know, you and your dad are so close. Like, you must chat about this, this and that. And I think because I had such a relationship with my mum, with my mental health, I realised that I'd never actually sat down and had that chat with my dad um, to the extent of we did it that night. And I I guess I was, I'm really proud of my dad for, for one, being a part of, you know, the film with me and being there for me and, and two, telling me the, the reality, you know, hearing him say to me, bro, I, I, I don't understand it sometimes, you know, and it wasn't a talked about thing when I was a kid, you know, and then, and then him kind of opening up about the, the terrible things and the terrible thoughts that he would have, you know, whilst he was suffering with his, with his brain tumors and the therapy that he required after that. And, it's so funny because, you know, a lot of the things that he was saying, you know, he talks about being in a bubble and that people outside of that bubble don't understand your feelings. And 
that's exactly what what I was feeling at the time. And you know, I never felt that maybe he wouldn't understand that. Maybe he didn't understand it. But it's nice because you know now that conversation has been had between my family. It's you know, I, I actually I was taken aback by it yesterday. You know, because he was he was talking about someone. I can't remember. He was talking about I don't know a celebrity, and and he said he goes, you know, you got to think. He said to me, you know, brothers, you got to think. There's a lot of people out there that have shared the same thoughts that you've had in your life, and even just hearing him say that, hearing giving him him, you know, giving recognition to the, the kind of thoughts that I've had and the struggles that I've had, makes such a difference. I think from a guy's perspective to hear that from your own dad, you know, mm. it, it was validating in a way. You you had a you had a really you know interesting child in a way because both your parents are famous you know your dad famous your mum <laughs> my favorite fact I, I dug up when I was digging around reading up on you was that you're probably the only person yeah. on the world in the world both of whose parents were in the wham uh last Christmas video right so yeah so what was you know so you you've grown up with famous parents you've that as grace will tell you brings its own pressures at times but how is how do you think that has affected your your well-being and your mental health do you think that has had an impact uh yeah of course i mean it's just every i think one thing that i've realized in in this whole thing is that you know every no no one of any form of mental health is is the same as someone else because everyone you know causes their own problems within their heads at some point and do I think that that was a pressure that I put on myself in terms of am I going to live up to them yeah probably you know you feel a responsibility I think still in that toxic masculinity world I still think oh you know um, I've got to carry on the Kemp name you know I've got to carry on this idea that that Kemp's are successful and we're good people and 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 we do this and we have a family and we provide for families and yeah i think i think that definitely had an impact but you have to remember like and you know grace you can say this as well like when people ask you you know what's it like having a dad that people know who they are you're born with it you don't know mm. anything different so you've kind of got there's no um there's no other side all you see is similarities, you know, all you see is someone saying, I'm really upset about this. And no matter what it is, that feeling is, if that feeling is real, then then you share that feeling, no matter what the, the, the main problem is. Yeah, I think it's so really I, I, interesting, like on gender, um, I always thought I would have hated to be my dad's son. And I'm happy I'm his daughter, because the complexities that come from being the son of a prolific man, as a man because of toxic masculinity and the way that men are kind of pressured to I, I don't know I, I've never envied my brothers for being men and I think I benefited so much more from being slightly distanced from it so it's nice in a way that you can now and probably it's from growing up be able to separate yourself from it but did it did you grow up in London Roman yeah yeah where did you go to school so we so basically we grew up in Muswell Hill Oh, right near us. Yeah, and then and then my dad started doing EastEnders, so we had to go a little bit further out to like Hertfordshire way, and then and then I I, I would get the bus 
which is like an hour away from my house all the way to school in Buckinghamshire. Oh, wow. So, Were there, like, did you grow up around other kids of famous people? <laughs> no. 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 That was the thing. Like, like I, I'd already, see, like, I'd been, you know, at, at the end of the day, like, my, my cousin's dad is famous. Do you know what I mean? And, and my, <laughs> you know, uh, I have, you, you know, you meet, you meet people all the time who, who have famous, you know, parents or whatever. I guess it's it was less so it was always less what I felt it was less so it was always less so you know how famous the person it was always the relationship that they ha- held with their parent and because my parents have always held this kind of equality line with with me and my sister you know we're we're all just mates you know it, it was never a case of oh I'm going to you know, punish you if you don't do your homework or all this type of stuff. It was always just a thing of, if you do that, that would upset me and I'm your friend, would you want to upset your friend? And I think because we just kept that level of respect between each other, there was never that kind of sense of rebellion that I see within other celebrity kids sometimes. I was I was just going to say whether you ever felt, because I sometimes feel that this with with uh, my children you know less so now maybe but I can remember when they were growing up sometimes I felt that they were really pissed off that when I was out and about or when I was working at home whatever that that I was they were having to kind of share me and not own me and not be with me in the way that they wanted to be and I've always carried quite a lot of guilt about that and I wonder whether you felt that with your dad in particular Um, I, I definitely, I, I can, I can honestly say I never did. I think mm-hmm. I've always held my, both my parents in huge, huge, like regard. And I, I love, and I'm so proud of my parents for everything that they've achieved. And, and I, I really, you know, I, I couldn't admire them more. You know? Grace, this I, is I, where you meant to say me too, me too, me too, Grace. Come on, come on. I don't want to interrupt. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> It was true, you know. It's it's true, and I think I think does my dad does you know are those things that my dad worry about as a father? I think one hundred percent. I think one hundred percent. You know, my my dad has you know has, has worked so much and and has given his life you know to make other people have entertainment, etc. You know, did he feel like that? You know, when when he was out with the band, you know, when he first met my mum, did he feel like that? I'm sure, I'm sure he did, and I'm sure those are things that you know, later on down the line, I probably, as a father, will feel. I think that... George Michael's your godfather. Yeah, exactly. How many times have you... How many times have you name-dropped that in your life, do you think? (laughs) The thing is, you don't don't really need to name-drop it. I mean, one, everyone seems to know it, and then two, at the same time, it's, again, it's the same, Grace. It's like, you know, when people say to you again, What's it like having a famous mm. dad? It's yeah, but Grace, why don't you tell him about your 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 best uh, godfather name drop? Well, I I used to rotate who my godfather was. It was like Alex Ferguson for a while because we're not we're obviously not religious, but like whoever my dad's best mate was at the time, I'd be like, yeah, Fergie's my godfather. I thought that would get me a boyfriend in secondary school, and it didn't. So. <laughs> but yeah, like that's it. Like, but but to be fair, you know, with um with with George. You know, I, I love George like like my uncle. You know, he was a part of my family in the exact same way, and uh, I always find it, you know, it's it's just a part of your life, and you grow up with that being 
the normal. You know, to to me, to me, the name George Michael doesn't say insanely famous person. It, it is my mum's best friend. Mm. You know, and, and in the same way that your dad probably has his best mates, you, and you know them, and you you know you, you open them with uh, you show them kind of open arms into your family. It's the same thing, and and I think with George, that's that's always the same. You know, it's okay. George, what we did for Christmas, okay. George is coming over on this that's day. That's so okay. cool. You spent Christmas yeah. with the King of Christmas. That's so cool. I know, I know. That but it's mainly, it's watching, mainly... He's watching the EastEnders Christmas special. <laughs> you joke, you joke, you joke. <laughs> that, that, man, that man was the most obsessed with EastEnders out of everyone in my family. Wow. Well, this is what becoming was, very relatable, was... this podcast. <laughs> exactly. Did you ever worry about? No, no, Dad. I'm asking a question. Thank you. Did you ever worry when you started working of that? You know, I've had a lot of feelings of like, oh, people just think I'm doing this because of who my dad is. And did you get that weird feeling at the beginning of your career that you were guilty of nepotism? Uh, one hundred percent. I think that that lends itself to, uh, you know, your your kind of your thoughts you know it was one of the thoughts that I, I would I've always had in my life but at the same time I, I firmly believe that now I'm in a job that if you can't do it you'll get found out yeah completely <laughs> if you can't if you can't if you can't host a radio show you get found out if you're just there because of your dad um, no totally so, yeah but I think look when I when I first announced that I was doing this documentary I had a mixed reaction the first reaction was Oh yeah, amazing, great! What a great cause! And the second was, you know, what do you know? You've never, you've never had, you know, to to go through the hardships of life. You know, you've always had this great, you know, this, this, and that. And let me tell you, I I am the first person to to explain that I have had the most privileged, looked after life ever. I have had the most incredible parents who are still together. I've got the best schooling was given to me. Any present that I wanted when I was a kid was always given to me. And and do you know what I I I I'm still so proud of it, and there's not one thing that I've changed. And and when I saw that kind of come in, that's just part of my life now to to see those kind of um, see those kind of messages. And it, and it, I've always just kind of set it as a bar of like, okay, judge me after you've seen what it is that I want to put out there, or judge me after mm-hmm. I've I've done the radio show. Then tell me that I'm there because of my dad. And uh, uh, you know, my dad is always. My dad and my mom have always been there to to not let me get down on those types of comments. But one of the funniest things about it was um, Josh Allett, who is the director of We know Blue. Josh. He worked yeah, with Paddy so, with our dad. Sorry. Yeah. 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 So, so Josh Allett, like when I when I first got these messages come through saying, oh, nepotism, you know, why is he hosting this? Josh's mum is Annika Rice. And, and, and so, so I sent, so I sent him a text and I go, Oh God, wait until they see who's directing. <laughs> I said, me and Josh are going to make a football team called Nepotism FC. Yeah. I, w- I nearly wrote a whole comedy show called Nepotism and name dropping. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just on the, just going back to, uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about the theme of grief. Cause I mean, you know, we saw a lot of your grief in the, in the documentary related to Joe. But then you'd also been that through that situation with George Michael, which was, you know, as you say, your mum's best friend. It's a big thing in your life. Um, and it's mm. very, very public. Now, in a way, you've made the grief about Joe public because it's a, 
it's a documentary and you but you've done it very much on your terms you know you've been able to kind of reflect that as you want whereas something like George Michael yeah. died which you know so many people feel they own that and you know here's a real name drop I can remember talking to Prince William about how he felt but that thing about when you feel that the public you know he once said to me seriously he said that when he was walking behind the coffin and he felt almost angry that all of these people who were crying who never even knew her and he was like her son and he wasn't meant to cry um now i just wonder what yeah, what fuck, the difference that's so is fucked up. but i wonder what the difference is in that grief that you felt where you the, the public sharing of it and then the very private when it's like your best mate yeah i think that i think my my view on those things you know is is when it when it came to to to, to george passing was i i always was pushed by my mum to feel just more pride you know, more pride in, in the fact that, wow, look at, look how incredible he is, that, that he has touched this many people in their life. Maybe if they were going through a tough time, maybe if it was a moment in their history, it may be the, the song that these people danced to at their wedding. It was the song that was conceived when, when their child was conceived, you know, those types of things. And I, I completely understand. And do you know what? Like it, it, it is a, it's an odd thing. It's, it's a very odd thing, you know, the death of anyone of a, of a family member is, is very, very strange. Mm. And to, to see it on the news is very odd, you mm. know? Um, but I, I think when it comes to, to George, I was always just, you know, my mum just said, you know, look, bro, look how many people he, he changed their lives, you know? And, and that's something I can only be, only be proud of him for. And, and the grief with Joe, do you think that will ever go? The grief with Joe um, is really hard. Um, do you know that the main thing was, uh, and I went to go and see him the other day. I, uh, I visited um, visited uh, the, the church where where he is, and and I sat there, and you know, I, I said to him, I was like, you know, we did it. You know, I felt I felt him with me the whole way through that documentary, and again, it was more so. I, I wasn't there to kind of show people, you know grieve with me for my friend and you know oh i'm passing this grief to other people it was more so again i'm i'm really proud of him and i'm really proud and if and if this if some by messed up divine intervention if everything is meant to happen for a reason then look how many lives he's affecting right now you know the amount of people that have have reached out and and opened up since i told joe's story um is phenomenal and and even we got the stat back which was um hotline searches uh in terms of male suicide were up by 760 percent straight after the documentary on the night on the night straight after the doc and that for me like just makes me so proud of him and grateful of him that that that's the situation that we're in right now you know, and because, you know, we can only deal with, there's only so much I can go back and say, look, you know, what could I have done? What could I have done? But the the reality of the situation is Joe's not here anymore. And, you know, from, I'm so grateful to, to his family for allowing me to tell his story. Um, 
and and you know you're seeing tangible results here you know, I spoke to his family afterwards and, and they were so overwhelmed because they can see that their son has quite literally saved lives, whether or not he knows it or not, mm. you know, and, and, and you can see that. And I think that's that's more relevant to me than any form of jealousy that I could have of people saying, oh, I knew Joe as well. I knew Joe as well. Like, it doesn't matter. Mm. What do you want to do with the, you know, you're obviously... <laughs> you like it or not now you're going to be like kind of very big in the mental health campaign field what do you want to do with this um I, i'd love to see um i know dr alex has recently got his brand new role um within the government but i i i'd love to see it just implemented inside the curriculum of schools that's my main thing i would love i would love for in the curriculum of a of a school there to be something that's representative of mental health and the realities of, of things like suicide. Mm. Um, I, I would love for, even if it's not anything to, you know, I'm very aware of, I, I'm not someone that is a campaigner to, to lobby government. I'd much rather, if parents want to take that responsibility, I'd rather speak to the parents because at mm. the end of the day, I, I didn't go to, a school that spoke about mental health but I'm still here you know and that's because of the relationship that I feel like I have with my parents and and the and the, the household that they bring me up in and you know there's there's a lot of studies you know that uh, Dr Rory O'Connor who I speak to in in the in the film from Glasgow he says to me he's like Roman it needs to start in the womb reinforcing mm. positive uh mental health to your child reinforcing that idea that no matter what thought they have, they're heard, and no matter what uh, feeling that they feel is valid, and and that's something that that you know you can't. There's only so much you can do to the government. To to I mean, you must know this. You know, there's what? only so much campaigning you can do before something gets changed. But as well, it's like what you said earlier. Um, you know, your family came across so well in the documentary, and. I was listening to you on this other podcast and the woman hosting it said that you have, like everyone says that your family are just like lovely people. And it sound, and that way that you were raised to be equals and the sort of mutual respect of your feeling is always valid. That's definitely how I plan on, on raising my children and how, Dad, you should raise your children like that as well. I think it would be really <laughs> helpful for all of your other younger kids um, if, yeah. if you implemented that yeah. now. It's too late for us. Yes. It's, yeah, yeah. So your, what, the five-year-old or the Your family in Australia, the family in Albania, you know, he's got many families. <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> but you're I saying do... I failed as a parent, is that what you're saying? Say that again? You're saying I failed you as a parent. I honestly can't remember. You weren't there that much. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember, like, you parenting me. It was Anna the nanny. Shit. What, it's true. Yes. <laughs> Ask my therapist, Roman. Do you do therapy? Uh, I do, but only only when I feel like I need it. Okay, I, like I, my dad. I feel like I need it. I, I'm very I'm very honest with myself, um, and you know I, I, I'm very honest with myself. I think when it comes to that, and I am like, okay, this is probably a scenario whereby I need to talk to someone else. Mm. That's that's removed from everything. I love therapy. I think I think therapy is a fantastic thing. I I I, I love the I love and I, I I hate the idea that 
that people now still believe that therapy is this thing where you sit in a chair lying down like that and you cry and all this stuff and people tell you how you should feel mm-hmm. um, when the reality is they're, they're incredible people that, that help you lead yourself to your own answers. But I do think as well, this is something that infuriates me about men is I've decided I'm never going to have a boyfriend that will straight up say I'm not doing therapy. And I have been with men who've said I will never do therapy. And I'm like, that's such a red flag because you don't know at what point it will become necessary for you to do therapy. But men have this idea that it's some kind, well, a lot of men, not all men, have this idea that it's like some form of failure to go and see a therapist when actually it's a luxury. I mean, it's the the coolest thing in the world. Someone just listens to you. Yeah, I mean, look, it's, 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 I don't get me wrong. It's, it's a very expensive activity, and I'm very privileged to be able to 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 be able to to do it. But you know, then I have to think about those men that that have said that to you. I know for a fact my dad was one of those men, and it, and it took him to go through what he went through. To, and my mum, do you know what actually happened? I think my mum says it. My dad says it in the thing. My mum basically tricked my dad mm. and sent him to a chiropractor who was actually a therapist and so my dad would go to these chiropractic sessions that that were to help his joints after he was getting over um, lying in a hospital bed for so long and the chiropractor was actually a trained therapist and would talk him through things at the same time kind of subtly almost Mm. you know and yeah it is a red flag for sure because you've got someone that is like I think anyone that says categoric no's to anything is, is a red flag in some way you know, I, I think being open and being willing to, to try things is, is a great thing and a rare thing to find in people these days. But <clears throat> certainly I don't think I don't I don't think it can necessarily define someone, I guess is what I was saying. Some people have to have to find their own path. I don't know if your family do this, but certainly when I sometimes go into a plunge, Fiona, Grace's mum, and sometimes maybe Grace will say what triggered it? What caused it? Why do you get depression? And I never, ever know the answer. But do you, you know, as you say, you've had a really nice family, really nice upbringing, young, successful, all that stuff. Do you, when you say to yourself, where does it, where does the depression come from? What's the best answer you've found for yourself? Um, the best answer I found was I went to the doctor and, and I, took, uh, I took a lot of tests um, trying to figure out how much serotonin my body releases um, and and in terms of blood types and all these different things that they pull up. Uh, and they basically told me there and then that it was a, a chemical form of depression, that my brain right. wasn't releasing enough of those hormones. And I, I think that there's good and bad parts to that because there's bad parts because something nothing can happen. The best things around you could be happening and you look miserable. Um, and you can't help it. You really can't help it. And you can't help, you know, anxieties taking over. Um, the good part is that you, you're understanding of it and you see it as something that that's just part of my body, you know, in the same way that I, I'm not, my body doesn't work in the way that a professional footballers work and I'm not a professional footballer. My brain is not a professional, you know, happy person. Mm. Yeah. So you see it very much as a, as a, as a chemical. I mean, physical. what about you? Yeah, I mean, you know, what about yourself? I mean, you know, you say that you, you can't, you don't necessarily. Sorry, I just kicked the glass. Um, you know, you say that that you you feel like 
you don't know where it comes from. I mean, is that something that you've looked into, if, whether or not it's a, it's a chemical form of depression or, or is it something else? Uh, I've, I've sort of looked into everything and, um, and I still don't really know the answer. I still, if I look at my life in an objective way, I think, well, you know, it ought to be okay. But so I, I just feel it's kind of part of my wiring that, and I also think, you know, back to the scale, I also think that it's, it's part of the positive side of me as well. I think it's what gives me, you know, when I'm coming out of a depression, I feel energy like a, you know, just a rush of energy and creativity and, and power as well sometimes, yeah. you know. So I don't, but I don't know. Whenever, whenever it comes down on me and Fiona says, what happened? I just don't know the answer. I remember yeah. when I was like 15 or 16, I had really bad, I was clearly pretty insane um, and have been since then. But my mum tried to make me go and see a therapist and I was, I just refused it for years because I was like, if I go and see a therapist, people will think I'm boring because the madness in me is what people love and find really quirky. And then if I see a therapist, they'll iron that out. And so I really got worried about what so much of my identity was wrapped up in being this kind of um, unreliable, up and down kind of mad person. And actually, none of that goes away if you do therapy. You just work out where some of your shit's coming from. But it's, and then you turn it into a comedy skit. Yeah, but or you, you learn to channel it. But what I was going to say is like, I really appreciate some of the characteristics that my bad mental health has given me. Like it's given me a sense of empathy towards other people. I always am super self, super aware of how other people might be feeling in a situation. If someone goes a bit like that, I'm like, oh, they're having a panic attack or something else is going on there. Because it's once you've experienced it, you know what that feels like. Whereas when you've never had it, like my mum, it's very hard to articulate to her what it feels like because it sounds a bit crazy, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it really informs a lot of good things about about us. Anyway, that's just my trying to get this onto a bit more of a positive note because um, <laughs> no, you know, no, it's all it's all positive. It's all positive. <laughs> so, Roman, uh, and also, I've got to say, Ron, we we quite often get a lot of, quite a lot of publicity for our podcast, but I don't think we've ever been in the Daily Star. So, can you sort of just talk us through your love life right now? <laughs> <laughs> this is, <laughs> but this is what I was going to say. You're quite in just the tabloid. Sorry, say that again. You're quite. Just in- give us a couple. A new names. <laughs> yeah, up up and comers, Roman. Who are the up and comers? <laughs> do you know what? Do you know what? I, honestly, like it's it's something that I, I, doing doing a breakfast show. I said this the other day. I am far too tired to date. Every time in a pandemic like, as well. <laughs> I, it's just like like honestly, I, I think you know I've done I've done it all. I've done the dating apps. I've done you know, like chat to people on Instagram, all that type of stuff. But when it comes to actually meeting up with people, maybe it's just me at the moment, but I'm just like, I can't be bothered. Like, I honestly can't. Like, like, I, like you know. Grace, we've got a story. Roman breaks a million hearts. I can't yeah. be bothered with any of you. <laughs> but no, you know what? I really genuinely feel like, I kind of feel like I'm, 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 I'm you know, realistic. Who's, who is my girlfriend and who am I married to? I'm married to, selfishly, my show. Like, yeah. you know, and, and that's the thing that, you know, what, the reason I don't drink during the week, the reason I, I try my best to go to bed early and, and the reason why I, I, you know, try and do what I do is, is, is to make that show sound as good as possible. And, and mm. I love, love the radio show. And, and, you know, if a girlfriend got in the way of that, they'd be gone. 
Yeah, you know well, it's I mean? like when you come to a relationship with a child from a previous relationship. It's you know, it's it's me or the kid, and that <laughs> <laughs> that I can imagine. Grace, I, I always put you before the job, Grace. Always, always. That's fucking bullshit. It's why I'm so fucked up. Anyway, don't worry about it. Um, no, but I think also Roman, you've had a crazy year and 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 you've been through so much, and then you've been working throughout a pandemic. And so you have to just give yourself a break. Like, why do you need to date right now? You don't. Uh, you need to just have some time off. And then, you know, once once we can all party again, you'll it will just be more natural. I, I went for a breakup in the midst of the pandemic and it was uh it was very, very challenging to say the least. I did I did no, I, I, I split up with my girlfriend of, of three and a half years during during the pandemic and, and it's horrible. It's it's really horrible. You know, in a way I'm grateful for the pandemic in that sense because it kind of gives you a a realistic view on how life's gonna yeah. be you know you to to push your relationship five years down the line how do you like working yeah. with your dad by the way you, you work with your dad now as well don't you yeah i mean, I, I absolutely love it I, honestly yeah. like and that's again everything i do is always based around my family like in the future and and the yeah. reason why i wanted to do stuff with my dad and the reason why you know Grace, you'll look back on this podcast so fondly. It's because you will tell your kids and show their grandkids and say, look what me and your granddad did. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I no, it's an that. archive. That's why I love doing it. The process of doing it is not fun, but I love having... <laughs> <laughs> no, just working with my dad. It's not how you just describe working with your dad. It's a fucking nightmare. But I'm joking, Dad. <laughs> At the beginning, it was a complete nightmare, but it, we've eased into it. But... Having an archive of your relationship is so cool. Oh man, I love it. I really love it. And and you know, even just little things like like with Gogglebox and and you know with Weekend Best, our our, our show on ITV. It, I love it. I love the fact that you know. And, and again, like listen, I'm so proud of my dad, and and my dad is still the person that I, you know, my dad and my mum are the people that I hold in the highest regard ever. And if I can do anything to to, to enjoy those moments and, and see them doing their thing with them, then then I'm there. You know. Are you musical, there. by the way? Are you musical? Uh, yeah. So um, the funny story that, that always kind of shocks people is that when when my dad, after my dad had his brain tumor, he forgot all of his um, bass lines to Diana right. Ballet. And when, since I grew up, like my, my sister's a songwriter and, and my dad and my mom, my mom always used to make sure that I was only allowed to sing in the car if I sang in tune um, <laughs> or did the harmony with her or whatever. And then my dad um, taught me bass and taught me guitar. And so when my dad, when it came back to Spandau Ballet going back out on tour, he was completely honest with me. He was like, right, I, I, I can't work them out. Can, can, you, can you teach me them? Oh, and that is so, so sweet. Yeah, you know, and, and that memory of me and him, and I was only 16, that memory of me and him sat in my room, both with a bass guitar and, and me saying to him, Dad, it's this, it's this, it's this, is, is one that I'll always hold really dearly. That's really sweet. That's like me teaching my dad how to use Instagram, but he still doesn't get it. No, it's like you trying, trying to teach me the bagpipes after I've lost my memory. And I've got the least musical family of any great musician, which I truly am. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, we are very unmusical family. We just got mum's jeans. Anyway, we're funny, so that's fine. Um, well, Roman, it's been a complete pleasure. Thank you so much for talking to us. No, it's been great. Really good. Is Roman our youngest? Is Roman our youngest ever? How old guest? are you, Roman? Twenty-seven. Twenty-eight. Wow! Oh, Scarlet, Happy birthday. Um, <laughs> it's his birthday. No, well, I'm I'm the youngest guest. <laughs> How old are you? I'm twenty-six. Okay, well, yeah. well, you still hold the being the youngest then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Roman, I'm going to follow in your footsteps and do I'm a celeb and then I'm going to fucking break so many hearts in the UK. It's crazy. Oh. Well, exactly. <laughs> yeah. exactly. Roman, can I thank you as well, Roman, for, for being in your 20s and a young person and not swearing once in this podcast, unlike <laughs> other young people? <laughs> Listen, I'm still like with my with my dad. My dad always kept that rule in the house. I was allowed to I was allowed to um, swear at the football, but uh, I'm not allowed to swear. But also, you've got a morning radio show. You're used to not being able to swear. Do you know what I mean? Like I've had whenever I go on the radio, I get Ofcom complaints because I'm not used to not being able to swear. Yeah, yeah, and I'm, yeah, a, I'm a very, very, very bad example. You're a very bad example. <laughs> you swear all the time, and then you wonder why I do it to impress you. And then it doesn't impress you. I tell you what, Roman, just just do one little bit that we're not going to um, that we're not that won't be in the podcast. But just say just say Tyler. Just say that. <laughs> oh, this is my best friend. No, should we so upset about that, Dad? Don't do that. My best friend. No, really You've got a friend that's in love. Yeah, she really fancies you, and she's also just gone through a breakup. She was like, "Just tell him I love him, but not in the podcast because my ex boyfriend will get angry." Um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, yes, I mean, Tyler, hello. Um, maybe when this is all finished, we can go for a drink. Yeah, there you sure. go. He's asked you out, Tyler. All Thank right, Rob, listen, that was really good. Did it. You did it. Did it. Didn't do the B word, didn't do the J word, didn't do the Trump word, didn't do the Biden word, didn't do the Brexit word, didn't do the COVID word. Were you, did, was that a conscious thing? Did you find yourself wanting to and not? Or did you feel the conversation just didn't really go that way? No, I felt if he'd have sort of said, you know, because it's the first time I've ever met him, right? If he'd have said halfway through, oh, by the way, you know, I'm really political on this, and then it would have gone that way. But no, I really enjoyed talking to him and I thought he was great. Do you think because of his job, he can't be too political? No, I don't know. It's not, it's not like the BBC, obviously, Capital, no, but... Possibly, but I, I just didn't... No, I thought he had so much to say about his background, about his family, mm. about his friend, about his own mental health, uh, about youth, about growing up with famous parents. He just had a lot to say and I really enjoyed talking to him. Me too. Yeah, he's a really, really nice guy. Mm. Um, and will, you know, continue to have lots of success, I think. Yeah, but I mean, and, and then he also had, you know, we didn't even talk about the programme he had on this week about his you know, DNA I know. history, which was on ITV. Uh, that was good as well. I really liked that. Yeah. No, I thought it was really, really, really liked him. And, I, and I, I just think, well, as you know, I'm very, I'm very big on young people's energy and the need to get it out of there. I think he'll be a great addition to the whole kind of mental health I agree. I mean, I think as well, like, that the things that really, really do have an impact are young men because it's just so much more of a problem amongst oh, young men. It sounds great. So what, I should retire? No, I'm saying, mm-hmm. I'm saying that's where that the mental health world needs to be more saturated oh, yeah. with young men, with yeah. young men with a profile like Roman Kemp. Mm. Um, 
because he's got a huge audience. So yeah. it just will have a massive knock-on effect on other people, I yeah. think. Now, do you think we need to talk a little bit about... Um... Brexit, COVID, COVID. no, absolutely not. I think we should end this by saying if you haven't watched the documentary, Roman Kemp's documentary about uh, his friend Joe, who took his own life last year, and it's just a really, really powerful documentary about And it's it's on the BBC iPlayer. It's on iPlayer, and it was to raise money for Comic Relief. Yeah, it was brilliant. Comic Relief, was it? Yeah. I didn't even know that. Yeah, yeah, it was part of the comic relief like campaign because wow. they fund lots of the yeah, yeah, the yeah. places, the suicide places. Okay, well, thank you so much, Dad, um, and I hope you have a great life. And I'll go upstairs and talk. By the way, I've got a book out today, and I'll be able oh to... my god, God, so you didn't even mention it. Oh my god, I'm so sorry. It's just come on, come on. <laughs> sorry, I know, I know, it's not. I know. It's, you had living better was a big deal. No, but also this, this, this is, is just so a, weird. The, how many volumes have you done? This is number eight. Yeah. but the point is though, it's just like. I think I'm trying to. One of the volumes I, I launched at the festival hall or some bloody place, mm, and God. now you just have to do bits of online this and that. Well, look, you're doing great, sweetie. So Thank I'm really dear. proud of you. Thank you, dear. Hold up! What was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.